the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hope you're having a great weekend. Want to thank you so much for joining us this fine Saturday. And you can always catch us here on the weekend, as you know. But wanted to let you know that you can also join Josh every Monday as well. He and Bruce Hooley talk Money Mondays at 12.30 p.m. every week right here on 98.9 The Answer. So we're going to start off this show, Josh, talking about taxes. And I know you always tease me about being on TikTok and getting my information from there. But I found this uh, soundbite we're going to play. This is an audio clip of a young boy playing a Monopoly game with his family. We can all relate to this. Uh, What's been, where's all your money gone, Daddy? Taxes. Six, nine, ten, eleven. Let me fix my houses. It's okay. It's part of the game. No, it's not. It it's not is. It's not fun to what? <laughs> it's the worst part of the game. Of oh, is what? Taxes. <laughs> so they were playing Monopoly, and that poor child. <laughs> sure, and I'm sure we can all relate to some form or fashion to what that feels like. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to play that for you. But tax season, thankfully, it's in the rearview mirror. And then now it's time to worry about next tax season. So what are some steps that we can do, uh, start taking now throughout the rest of the years as, as part of a tax plan to help minimize the damage next year? You know, I, I think we uh, we always call tax season, you know, that period of time between, say, like February and April, where we start getting all our stuff. And we know that we have to file them by a certain day in April uh, or we get in trouble and we're kind of looking to assess what are the damages? How much more will I owe? Am I getting a refund? And it's kind of this reactionary uh, gloom and doom time of year. But the reality is that's the tax reporting season. The remainder of the year is really how you should view the tax planning season for the most part. So the fact that you have an address, Diane, that, you know, what can we do throughout the year to hopefully lessen that blow is the right approach. So there's a couple ways we can view that. One, how do we minimize taxes today, meaning for our tax bill that we're going to file here next April, but also how can we reduce our tax bite later on in life, meaning in retirement? Now, if there's one thing that I hear repetitiously day in and day out, it's, you know, taxes are bad already. But reasonably speaking, if you look at it throughout history, our tax rates are reasonably low comparatively to what we've seen in the past. 
And now that we've just come off of COVID and we've spent all of this money and the government continues to spend tons of money and we've gone through a tremendous amount of deficit spending, one thing seems to be consistent and clear, and that is most people believe that taxes are going up. So not only do we have to come up with a strategy to hope, help to you know, minimize or mitigate the taxes that we pay this year, but how do we invest in a way that will lessen the blow, not this, just this year, but for the remainder of the years and into a retirement? And there's a bunch of ways. We'll start with the easy ones that you can do today that are, you know, if you have the money available, a very easy and quick way to lessen your tax blow. The first one is obviously you want to be contributing into your 401k, particularly up to the match. And, you know, the 401k is one of those things where you can do it pre-tax or in many instances you can do it post-tax via Roth option. And that Roth option would be a great solution for what we were talking about in the future, but maybe not such a great option today because, you know, the pre-tax 401k option saves us taxes today, where the Roth option saves us a tremendous amount of taxes being tax-free and distribution later. So the, the secret sauce is always, what do I do? Do I put uh, all of it in the pre-tax, all of it in the post-tax, or is there's kind of a method to the madness in the middle? And the answer is, um, there's probably a method to the madness in the middle. We just have to do some number crunching and planning. Uh, the other one that I think everybody should be taking advantage of, uh, and it used to be only for what we called high deductible plans, this concept of an HSA or health savings account. A health savings account is only available to you if you have a high deductible plan through work. That wasn't available to everybody, but the, I guess the problem and the benefit is almost everybody's plan at this point in time is a high deductible plan. So almost everybody can qualify for this HSA account. And the way that an HSA works is it's much like a 401k on the pre-tax side where every dollar you put in goes in pre-tax, so it lowers your tax bill today. All the gains that you earn on that HSA are tax-deferred, much like a 401k. But if you use those monies for the purposes of health care, now or later, it is completely and utterly tax-free. Now, one of the benefits to the HSA over, say, a flexible spending account is that you don't, it's not a use it or lose it type proposition. So you can continue to roll your HSA year over year, deferring the taxes on and on and on, and potentially save up quite a significant nest egg for the use in retirement, et cetera. So those are two really easy ways, and we can get into charitable contributions and all sorts of stuff. But again, important thing to note is make sure that you're not just focusing on taxes today, but how can I save and invest to save taxes tomorrow as well. And Josh, you guys, if somebody comes to you, you guys have tax companies that you work with for your clients. Yeah, obviously we work with a tremendous amount of folks on the tax side all over the city and all over the country for that matter. But again, their job for the most part is reporting the planning that we've already done. And that's not to say that there aren't some great accountants out there that will sit down with you throughout the year and help you come up with plans for saving on taxes when it comes time to tax reporting. Unfortunately, Diane, for the average person, they don't get that type of service with their accountant. For the average person, they meet with their accountant sometime around March or April, and they go, this is what I did. Can you report it correctly? Part of our job is not necessarily to give uh, you know, tax reporting advice. How are we going to report it? What box on the tax return should we put this number in? But moreover, how do we invest in a way that will help us both now and later in taxes? So when you have that appointment with your tax preparer, 
you're pretty happy about it. So our job, as well as a preparer, is to work in unison to help improve your tax situation. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule a meeting with Josh to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, give him a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, how often do you feel like a villain because someone comes in dreaming of an early retirement and you have to break the news that it is not a good idea for them? Well, thankfully, not that often. But it does seem like in the financial space and maybe other areas of our life, there definitely seems to be two types of people. And this is irrespective of whether they are big savers or they're not big savers or whether they've done the right things financially or not. People seem to fall into two categories, and that is the everything's going to be okay and the worrier category. Now, interestingly, I was actually at church over the weekend, and they they cited this study. And full disclosure, I don't I, you know, I, I take a lot of these studies with a grain of salt because it seems like we throw around a lot of statistics. But the point of this study was that they brought in a thousand people or something like that, and they sat them down and said, I want you to write down all your worries in life. And they wrote them all down. And uh, there was a numerous amount of worries, obviously. And what they found is that after they tracked these folks for a period of time, they tried to find out of all the worries that they had, how many of these worries came true. And the answer was... Uh, only about 8% of the worries were warranted. The other 92% were just made up in our own head. Well, I feel like um, while that applies to many things in our life, it certainly applies to finance and that you can have certain clients come in with $10 million and they only need $20,000 a year to live off of. And some of those people are going to be worried no matter what. It's almost like their, their God-given uh, gift was how to worry. And then you'll have other people, the exact opposite. They have $20,000 saved, and they need $50,000 a year to live off of, and they'll say, eh, it'll all work out. So were those the 8% uh, in church that uh, did have a valid reason to worry? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the answer to that question. But I think, I think the takeaway is this. Neither side is right. Neither side is right. I don't know what the best way to live your life is, but what I do know is that some of those worries, whether you're on one side or the other, may be justified or unjustified, and I can't eliminate all the worries financially, but what I can do is I can uh, develop an actual strategy and put pen to paper and show you what the reality is. And what I find, Diane, is oftentimes, whether you view me as the villain or you view me as the hero, you can't deny that knowing the information is of benefit. And I've never had anybody get mad at me when I showed them the actual facts of the situation. So my job, unfortunately, is not to tell you that you can't retire on 50 grand a year when you have $100,000 saved. It's my job to tell you that you can do that, but only for two years, because then you're broke. And if you choose to live your life that way, that's up to you. It's your money. It's your life. But I think that through this planning process and understanding how to eliminate risks and, and adjust for inflation and is the only way for me to save for my retirement and live in my retirement years to be worried about what they see on the news and what's going on in the stock market or interest rates or all these different things. Is that the only way? And the answer is a resounding no. That is not the only way to live your life in retirement. So explaining to people their choices and the reality of the situation should be viewed as a very empowering thing, not a I'm being a villain or a hero. It just uh, simply the facts are what they are. It's my job to just understand or show you how to decipher what the realities are. And most people coming in know kind of what their financial situation is. There, there's no one that's way off 
base that wants to retire. And there's absolutely no way they can't early. Uh, you'd be surprised. I mean, people come in from all walks of life. You have uh, people with many different uh, talents and gifts. And sometimes those talents and gifts are um, things that I couldn't even fathom trying to accomplish, whether that's running ultra marathons or painting beautiful pictures or opening a restaurant or being a doctor. I wouldn't be good at really any of those things. But to the same end, they might not be good with finances. And the reason that I have a job and the reason that they have a job is because we use our respective talents. So people come from areas where they're engineers and they're super number crunchers all the way to, I hate numbers. I don't even want to pay attention to this stuff, but I understand it's a necessary evil. Please help me. And everywhere in the middle. And it's my responsibility to be able to convey the same information in different ways so that everybody understands it in a way that applies to them. You take them through the Aptus Blueprint process. Let's talk about that a little bit. This process is one of education and one of, I believe, you know, creating empowerment and motivation through education. So the job of this process is to make you aware of your situation, how to improve upon it, what choices to make, and thus have the confidence to head into retirement or whatever your goal is, knowing that the outcome will be what you had hoped. And it's a four-step process. Step number one, we call the discovery meeting, simply learning about you, what you've been doing up to this point, what are your goals and objectives. Meeting number two, we call it the analysis meeting. We're going to show you if you continue to do what you're currently doing, will your arrow hit the target? And what are some things that could get in the way to prevent your objective? Meeting number three, we call the blueprint. We call it that purposefully. It's a blueprint that you can act upon much like building a home you would need a blueprint to do. This isn't necessarily just a plan, but an actionable blueprint to show you how do I solve all of the potential problems that could get in my way on my way to that objective, whatever that goal might be. And then not until meeting number four, if you've been waiting for us to try and sell you something throughout the process, because that's been your experience with other groups, um, it's not going to come because in meeting number four, you're going to tell us, is this the type of process that you like? Are we the right fit for you? And are you the right fit for us? And not until that meeting will we decide to work together. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And you can always join Josh again as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley, Mondays at 12.30 p.m. right here on 98.9 The Answer. More with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. 
Josh, a recent article in the Wall Street Journal talks about something called I-bonds that could earn close to 10%. What do you think about that? Well, I-bonds first are just simply inflation-adjusted U.S. savings bonds. And the federal government came out and said, you know, hey, we're going to issue these bonds. I think it was initially at 8%, and now they're looking like they could near up to 10%, like you had said. Americans have really been snatching these up. I think last I read, uh, they had purchased something like $11 billion worth of these bonds over the last six months. But ultimately what they are, if you remember the old, you know, U.S. savings bonds that your your parents or uh, maybe grandparents used to purchase, it was a very common practice to buy, you know, oh, we're going to buy our grandkids some savings bonds. They'll be ready for them when they hit to college. These are very similar with one exception, and that is their interest is adjusted based upon where the inflation rate is. So right now, obviously, they look very good. Several years ago, when, you know, interest rates were maybe at 5 or 6%, but inflation was still at 2 they didn't look as favorable. So there's pros and cons to them. That said, one of the cons is that you can only do $10,000 into these types of savings bonds. So if you're looking at your savings account, you're one of the fortunate people that's looking at fifty dollars or $100,000 sitting in your savings account going, what am I going to do to help thwart off inflation because the bank is paying me less than 1% and inflation is running at 8 or maybe 10%. What do I do? Well, you can only use this for $10,000 with one caveat, and that's if you invest your tax return in it, you can put it in another five. But again, we can only do ten grand. Um, the other problem, or not problem, but just you know, simple reality of these types of investments is every uh, 12 months, they adjust the interest. I think they can adjust them even every six months, but don't quote me on that. But the point is, that periodically the rate will be changed, unlike, say, a treasury bond, where if you just buy it and hold it to maturity, the rate is what it is. Now, fortunately for you, that rate could go up or it could go down, but um, the fact is those could both happen. Now, I am not suggesting, Diane, that I think it's a bad idea. Quite frankly, I think in light of where interest rates are across the board, in light of where the bond market is, in light of where stock market volatility is, and in light of where inflation is, I think having the ability to save $10,000 into a place that's playing that's paying a very substantial rate of return, certainly one that's going to thwart off inflation, it's a tremendous option. I think people should really take a look at it. You can buy them for your kids. You can buy them for a whole bunch of different, you know, you can use these in a whole bunch of different ways. The real issue that I see, Diane, is as people near inflation, they're near inflation, near retirement, and they're trying to figure out what am I going to do with my safe money again to earn the highest rate of return that I can. This doesn't necessarily get it done. So it does point me in a direction of maybe another thing that works very similarly. And that is something called a tip or a treasury inflation protected securities. Tips is what they're called. So tips are again, like buying a U.S. Treasury. The only difference is it's a U.S. Treasury where the rate is tied in some form or fashion to inflation. Now, the real big difference between the I-bond and the TIP is that the I-bond has a rate of return that can never go negative, number one. It will always be positive to some capacity, but it has a threshold of how much you can do. TIPs, on the other hand, well, you know, inflation can go all over the board. You may make a lot, you may make a little. And if you have a long-term bond, a long-term tip, and you need to get out of it early, you do run some risk of what is the value of my underlying tip being. And maybe I'm diving a little bit too deep in the weeds here for some people listening, but just know that your only options for, in, for saving and trying to ward off inflation with your safe money cannot simply be 
cash CD, CDs and corporate bonds. You have to start looking at other alternative asset classes like TIPS, like uh, these I bonds to try and achieve a yield with some level of safety while still maintaining some level of liquidity or your money is literally eroding before your eyes. If you've ever heard cash is king, well, there's another concept that you hear a lot of times, and that is cash is trash. And the reason that people say cash is king is because when opportunities prevail, then you have the ability to buy stuff with them. The reason you hear that cash is trash is because if the money just sits in cash and you never employ it, the forces of inflation are eroding the amount of money that you have. So you have to have the ability to do both. Let my holding account not go backwards, but still be available for those upcoming opportunities should they present themselves. That should be part of every plan, and it's something that we make sure we take a very close look at all the time here when we do our planning process. Okay, so there is no barrier on tips. You can invest as much as you want or buy as much you as you want. You can invest as much as you want, absolutely. And, and by no means am I urging everybody, Diane, to run out and buy tips. You better know what you're doing when you buy them. There's different maturities, different uh, – there's a lot of parts and pieces that you need to know what you're doing there. But they're a great avenue, particularly have been over the last year and looks like they're going to have some more runway here left uh, in the safe inflation-hedged investing uh, type arena. And where can the average person buy them? Well, you know, with any brokerage house, you know, you can buy uh, Vanguard for that matter has a tips fund. They have uh, a few different tips funds, you know, all the TD Ameritrade's where we clear. So we get our tips through TD Ameritrade, but we've used Vanguard amongst a couple of other uh, institutions that provide uh, access to those tips. And I-bonds, you can, can you get them right through the treasury? You have to. Yeah. So I-bonds is a little bit different. I-bonds, you have to go directly to, I can't remember the exact website, but if you just Google federal uh, I-bonds, it should take you to that treasury site and you literally buy them right through there. Interesting. Okay. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule a meeting with Josh to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, or if you have questions about today's show, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. Josh, it probably goes without saying how important it is for people to evaluate their existing investments to make sure they're working efficiently before exploring new options. Do you agree with that? Well, I think it's important not to move things around for the sake of moving them around, right? And I think oftentimes we will, let me give an example. So every rule of finance has, you know, you'll see it in a bunch of different ways. You'll see the pyramid of finance. You have to make sure that you have certain things covered and protected before you move on to the other things. Or, you know, I mean, one of the famous ones is the seven baby steps that Dave Ramsey talks about, right? And, and the first baby step is not create an efficient wealth transfer plan. It's make sure you have $1,000 saved in an emergency fund before you do anything else uh, in the baby steps. And similarly, um, what I see is oftentimes some people skip some steps. So let me give an example. For most people, if you were evaluating their existing situation, the first questions would be, okay, you're a married couple, you have two kids. Do you have any life insurance? And, you know, life insurance isn't sexy or fun, but the fact of the matter is your biggest asset when you're in your 30s and probably into your 40s is your ability to earn a living. And if something happened to one of you, well, then you'd have to provide for the other person who now is raising two kids by themselves and uh, has lost your income. So, you know, do you think that you should probably establish two things first, an emergency fund in case one of you loses your job and some life insurance in case one of you unfortunately passes away. These would be two initial very important steps. 
And then moving on beyond that, we should definitely start saving towards retirement into our 401k, definitely at least at minimum up to the match. So until you've done those three things, you know, I don't really think you should be looking at too many other investments. Now, obviously, there's going to be some anomalies to that rule where there's just something that you can't pass up. But for the most part, as of today, what I'm seeing is people are much more excited about investing in how do I get into the next new cryptocurrency or what does Reddit have to say? Or I heard this new flyer. It's super cool. Those are all great investments. And I'm not discouraging anybody from taking some chances on new technologies or new investments or anything, anything like that. Um, but I don't think that you should necessarily be focusing your energies there before you have some other things taken care of. So to answer your question simply, Diane, what would I do first? I would make sure that I have the very solid time-tested items covered, have those boxes checked before I start looking for the, how can I explore new investment options? Should I start looking into rental real estate or should I start buying some individual stocks that I feel have really strong upside potential? All those are great strategies. Make sure you have the other bases covered before you start looking at those. So you're talking about people's extra cash that they could afford to lose. Well, let me phrase it a different way. There's a bunch of stuff that we need to look at from a financial planning perspective, and it ranges everywhere from what is the most tax efficient place for me to save, meaning, you know, we had talked about 401ks just a second ago and, and earlier even in the show. Uh, should I do Roth IRA type contributions? These are not investments per se, they're tax codes. So when I'm looking at my investment strategy, not only do I want to look at the investments, but I want to look at the tax codes. Because as you had played earlier in one of the segments, you know, the boy crying during Monopoly saying the worst part of this game is the taxes. Well, unfortunately, the reality is in savings, investing in your financial future, one of the worst parts of the game is taxes. So we have to look at what are your tax available efficient options or your tax efficient options available to you. Let's pick those first. Then we go into the investments and let's pick solid time-tested things that are not going to fail you in the long run to make sure that we have a good solid base. Remember, we tout all the time here, multiple streams of income or the three-legged stool. So I think that you need at least two good solid legs. Now with the additional money that we're taught, you said, you know, with the money they can afford to lose. Well, I don't like that uh, ideology. <laughs> where I'm going to throw anything in to lose. That's why I don't gamble, right? Well, I'm going to go to Vegas and I'm going to take 500 bucks with me because if I lose it, I won't be upset. That just seems absolutely silly to me. Um, we're not going to lose it, but what we are going to do is, is invest in things that look like they have a lot more volatility attached to them. There is a greater potential for significant loss in the short run. I would never suggest that anybody invest in anything that they believe has a strong possibility of going bankrupt in the near future. But let me give an example. There are certain stocks and or funds that are incredibly volatile. They're in the early stages of their business development, or perhaps they're in an industry that's incredibly volatile, but that does not mean that they're bad in the long run. But I don't think that we should bet the farm on those either. So when we're reevaluating, we go back to the basics, cover all the bases, and then if we want to take some chances, and by chances, I don't mean throw the money away, I mean volatility chances that we can afford to leave this money alone and it's not going to make us panic, well, then we start looking at those things. 
To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. More with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, I'm sure you heard about Netflix. Everybody's uh, sharing passwords and all that stuff. And next, Netflix is going to crack down. They had a huge uh, loss in their stock prices. Um, they were expecting, I think, over a million subscribers. And uh, they lost 200000 or something like that. So when we see that on the news and we're investors, is that a sign that we should be not in Netflix or, or continuing to invest in it? Well, as a patron of Netflix, quite frankly, I'm surprised that it took them this long to start cracking down on the on the user thing, right? But, um, and I do pay for mine, just full disclosure. Me too. But, uh, you know, I think the big question is this. Emotions and emotional investing affect the short run, but analytical investing and actually knowing how the company works is what determines whether or not it's a good hold. Let me give an example. So right now, people will anecdotally say things like, well, it went down by this, and they said this, and they said that. Is it a good idea? Have you looked at their balance sheet to see what their actual... We hear these kind of clips, like, oh, they lost more money than they thought. Have you looked at their balance sheet to see, and their income statement, to see if they're actually still profitable? And what was the decision for you to buy them to begin with, other than sounds cool? If you don't know the answers to those questions then you don't know the answer on what you should do now. There's a very famous instance of this, Diane, with uh, Peter Lynch, who I've quoted many times on the show. He ran the Fidelity Magellan Fund back in the uh, 70s into the 80s and had a stellar run averaging well over 20% for a period of 12 years every single year. And he had kind of famously invested in Taco Bell. And when he bought Taco Bell, and I'm going to be wrong on these numbers, but this is approximately correct, I believe it was around $12 a share. And then it went down to $8 a share, and he bought more. And everybody said, well, I don't know about this. This is crazy. It went down to $6 a share, and then 4 and then it went all the way down to $1 a share. And the headlines were, Peter Lynch has finally lost it. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's still buying at $1 a share. The company's going to go bankrupt, and everybody's going to lose a bunch of money. Well, if you heard Peter Lynch talk, he said, if you look at the assets that Taco Bell had on the books at the time, Their book value, if they went bankrupt, if they completely liquidated everything, they were worth like $16 a share. Even if they went bankrupt and just had to sell everything, they were worth more than they were trading at. Everybody said, yeah, right, yeah, right. But he had done the analysis to find out if that stock was a good buy. Well, what ended up happening, and this is kind of a famous story too, is I believe that they ended up selling uh, Taco Bell sold to a private equity company or to another company of some kind for about $50 a share. And Peter Lynch obviously tunned out on that deal. The point being, if you're 
anecdotally investing because you think that Under Armour is a cool clothing company and it's going to do well, and you don't know anything about the inner workings financially of that company, well, then you're betting on emotions and you're betting on hype. And that's a way to invest. It's just not the best way, in my opinion. The way to invest would be understand the business that you're buying. And then these short-term gyrations uh, do not have nearly as significant effect on your psyche. And most people are listening and going, well, how would you do that? And that requires a lot of work. And you're right. Investing is not simply just throwing a dart at a dartboard and going, nailed it. It's not the way it works. It takes time. And that's why you should leave some of this stuff to the professionals and let people who stare at screens all day analyzing stocks make the logical picks for you. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Another thing I wanted to ask you, Josh, is, and and I'm going back to TikTok. I'm going to get you hooked on this app. That's my goal. I know, I know. I know how you feel about it. But there are people on there that are looking at what politicians are investing in and selling in. And revealing yeah, that information. A, yeah, that's a really interesting approach. You know, I can't say a pro or con necessarily of that, particularly as you start to see some of the investment portfolios that politicians have had. Now, full disclosure, I haven't done any research to find out which politicians have really knocked the cover off the ball and which ones we should be following. But um, I, I think I should. I think that would be an interesting uh, exercise because if you look at the, you know, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world and some of the, or I'm sorry, her husband. Who uh, is making all these perfect stock picks uh, right after news is is really right before news is released right at the governmental level, which certainly walks like a duck and quacks like a duck of insider trading. But who am I to judge? Uh, they don't seem to get in any trouble when they do that, but it's an interesting approach to take a look at. So I can't say that's good or bad. Yeah, because uh, I don't have enough info. It's interesting because they'll say, you know, a, a number of politicians will have sold a bunch of stock. So it's interesting to see what the moves are and stuff. So anyways, just a thought. Yeah, maybe that'll get me hooked on TikTok. Maybe you're winning. Maybe, maybe. All right. If someone needs cash now for a, a, for a big purchase or, or an expense, what do people need to know uh, or do before tapping into their retirement plans for cash? Well, you know, one thing I think, let's just hit the nail on the head and say that it's probably not the best choice overall. Um, and it's not the best choice for a number of things. And I'm going to give you answers on how you can access that money in the most efficient way possible and maybe what some other alternative options would be. But in general, let's just say why it's not a good idea. Well, even though you are technically borrowing the money from yourself, which is better than borrowing it from a bank necessarily, you are taking that money out of your 401k. So you are giving up opportunity costs and growth of the 401k. The only thing that the borrowing is enabling you to do is pay it back without paying the tax implications. So remember, on most 401ks, you've put this money in pre-tax. It's growing tax deferred. When you pull the money out of there, you go, uh, well, if I pull it out of there, i got to pay taxes on it. If I'm under the age of 59 and a half, I might have to pay a 10% penalty on top of that. That's a terrible choice. So if I borrow it, then I can pay it back out of my paycheck, and I don't have to pay the taxes on the money that I borrowed. Okay, fair enough. That's a good that's a good option. However, uh, remember again, you cannot get the growth back on the money that you took out until the money is back in. So you're foregoing a lot of that compound interest that we talk about so much on the show. The other thing is, you know, you are limited. You can only take up to fifty thousand dollars, which is probably a good thing. 
But nevertheless, if you need 100 grand and you have a million dollars inside of your 401k, well, then tough. You can't get it out of your 401k. And again, that's not even including that 10% penalty that may be assessed. So let's talk about how we might get around that 10% penalty. There's something called the rule of 55. The rule of 55 is if you're between the ages of 55 and 59 and a half, which 59 and a half being that normal time frame where you have to wait until you pull your money out of qualified plans without the 10% penalty. But if you're 55 and you have decided to stop working and or retire, then the provision allows you to take a withdrawal without the 10% penalty. So you did at least get around the 10% penalty if you take a withdrawal over the age of 55. Some better options. Let's think about some better options. Home equity loan. Home equity loan, depending upon how much equity you have in your home, is certainly not capped at 50000 if you have the equity to pull out of your home. If you pull the equity out of your home, uh, it is usually at a very low interest rate, hopefully lower than what you could earn on your investments inside of your 401k. The repayment on it is at your own time frame, with the exception of having to pay interest only, so it offers more flexibility. There are a myriad of reasons why a home equity line of credit may be a better option than taking money out of your 401k if, in fact, both of those options are available. So, again, the takeaway here is, and we could talk about other options, but your 401k as a safety net should be viewed as one of the last lines of defense, not the first place to take money. Yeah, and let's go over what the penalty is again. I know you've mentioned it, but... Yeah, so the penalty if you're under 59 and a half is... 10%. It's called an excise tax. Um, there are ways, again, to get around that. But in general, what you see most times is if people go to their 401k to take money, they pay the 10% penalty, they pay the taxes, and well, that stinks. So they go, well, what if I take a loan? I don't have to pay the 10% penalty. I don't have to pay the taxes. I just have to pay it back. The problem is in taking that loan, let's say you did take the $50,000, and let's say that you're 30 years old. If you're 30 years old and you take 50 grand out, it's very conceivable to think that it may take you 10 years to pay that money back. If it takes you 10 years to pay that money back and you don't retire until you're, say, 70 or 40 years from when you took it out, well, that 50 grand would have grown over that next, you know, four decades or so to probably something like four to five times what you had in there. So 50 grows to 100, 200, 400, you know, $800,000. Well, if it took you 10 years to pay it back, you lost that last 10 years of growth. So what did that 50 grand really cost you? Well, if 400 grew to 800 over that 10-year window, that 50 grand potentially just cost you almost a half a million bucks. So it's a much more expensive proposition than perhaps it appears on the surface, which is why it should be viewed as one of the last areas to take money not one of the first. Would you advise to ask your family or friends first if you had to do that rather than take Well, I think, you know, that's a, that's a moral dilemma that you can yeah. come up with on your own. But there should be, if again, remember what we were talking about earlier, there's steps to planning. There should be an emergency fund already in, a, in, a, in existence before you even started doing the 401k. If you've burned through that, then hopefully, if you had been doing other things right, you might have some home equity that we can go after. If we go beyond that, I mean, the list just keeps on. We keep on chipping away at things before we get to it. And I would say in the line, in, in kind of the order of operations of where to get money from, 401k is probably for most people the fourth or fifth option, not the first or second.
And what kind of situations have you ever seen where a person has to make such a big purchase or there's, or it's an ex- expense? Like I would, I would think that that big purchase would be, you know, you could get a loan for that. Or if there was an expense, let's say if something happens to your house, there would be insurance for that. What, what kind of situations would you say, okay, tap into your 401k? Yeah. I mean, usually the situations that I see are, are, are situations that are pretty desperate, quite frankly. And, and, and by desperate, I don't necessarily mean that you have to have the money or you're going to die. But what I do mean is, you know, I really want to buy rental real estate and my credit's awful and I can't qualify for a second uh, loan for rental real estate. So I'm going to borrow the money from my 401k. Well, I mean, just in me saying that you've not made the best financial decisions in the past to have completely destroyed credit. For the most people, there's always, you know, extenuating circumstances or anomalies to this fact, but it does tell us a little bit about the scenario. But most oftentimes, Diane, where I see people forced to take money out of their 401k is for their own first-time home purchase or desperation. Somebody lost a job, they need the money, think COVID, right? And for that latter piece of the puzzle, I am by no means saying that you should, you know, uh, go down the drain because you refuse to take some money out of your 401k and you are in that period of desperation. I totally understand where you're coming from, but I would argue that even in those scenarios, depending upon the scenario, there may still be better options in your 401k that you're unaware of, which is where we come in and we will point you in the right direction. But for some folks, Diane, it is, it is just ultimately where we need to get the money from. Life is a, uh, it's a journey, and sometimes it's got twists and turns. does not mean it's the end of the road, but sometimes you have to do what you got to do, and I understand that too. So would you agree to do that for a first-time purchase for a home? Potentially. Potentially. It, it depends on the scenario. But there's a reason why there's an exemption to the 10% penalty on a lot of qualified plans for the purposes of a first-time home purchase. And that's because you could argue that it is a logical expenditure if you trust that the government is you know, making all the right decisions when they're coming up with these rules for you. That said, sometimes it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. You can always join Josh as he talks retirement every Monday at 1230 p.m. with Bruce Hooley right here on 98.9 The Answer. More with Josh Pick when we come back. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, are boomers, Gen X, millennials, 
Gen Z, are today's generations more or less prepared for retirement than those who've, who've come before? This is an interesting question. It's a loaded question because a lot of the landscape has changed. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But also, I think we'll maybe bust through some myths uh, as, you know, I feel like whatever generation you're living in, me being a, uh, a Gen Xer, uh, you feel like your generation is the best generation ever with the exception of the greatest generation, right? Um, and I think oftentimes, you know, the Gen Xers talk poorly about the millennials and then the millennials talk poorly about the Gen Zers. And it's it's kind of like the little brother or little sister can never win. But I don't think but, anyone talks bad about Gen X. Just saying. <laughs> all right. I like it. Let's go with it. Uh, but I think, you know, a couple things. One, the younger generation is already starting to stash away more money than the previous generations, meaning that. Uh, millennials and Gen Zers are putting away more money than Gen Xers ever did at the same ages. So their 401k balances, everything's higher than what Gen Xers were. But part of that you could correlate into the landscape has changed. So if you look at like in 1981, roughly nine out of 10 people had a pension in 1981. Fast forward till today. And one in four, I've seen stats as bad as like two in 10 have a pension. So you look at like, the landscape has changed. If you look at baby boomers and even Gen Xers, large in part, a significant chunk of them were counting on a pension and social security taking care of them in retirement. And all they had to do was supplement it a little bit. Whereas millennials and Gen Zers do not have that luxury. Matter of fact, if you look at the stats of what they believe, about three quarters of millennials are significantly pessimistic about achieving you know, any sort of financial security in their retirement compared to about one in two, uh, a little less, but about one in two baby boomers uh, believe they'll be just fine. So, you know, the landscape has changed, but they are saving more. Now, I do have some concerns, and one of them is, granted, they're saving more, they're earning more, but let's talk about the changing landscape and how unfair it's been for not just uh, necessarily uh, Gen Zers and Millennials, but this started during the Gen X time period. And that is, if you go back to 1974, in 1974, the cost of a college for a baby boomer adjusted for inflation was about 10000 bucks a year. Fast forward to 2007, it was almost $20,000 a year. Inflation adjusted for the same thing. And I'm sure we could all agree without even looking at the stats that if we looked at what it cost in 2021, 2022, I'm guessing that that delineation between 10 and 20,000 of cost is even bigger now. So what's happening is that the new generation of people graduating have less guarantees. They're saddled with more debt. Granted, they're making more money and they're saving more, but they have more obstacles ahead of them. So as much as we talk trash as the previous generations about, well, you know, we're better than Gen Zers or, or, or uh, you know, we're better than millennials. The reality is they've had more obstacles to overcome. They have less guarantees, more debt, and they're still arguably doing better than we did at the exact same time period. Now, let's not give them all the pats on the back. They've also, over the last 12 years, experienced the longest bull run in the stock market in history. So while they've been good savers, if they've done what they should have been doing, investing in good places inside of their 401ks, Roth IRAs, et cetera, 
they were rewarded handsomely for that discipline. So good for them. Uh, but maybe this clears up a little bit of who is actually uh, doing the right things and who is actually just the snot-nosed kids that don't know what they're doing. You didn't mention anything about participation trophies. I'm surprised. Well, you know, it's probably best that I don't. <laughs> but uh, I still, you know, funny story about that. So my kids were, uh, they had some trophies. And, and I said, you know, when I moved out and I went to college, and I'll pick up my mom a little bit here. I said she was cleaning up my room and she threw away all my trophies. Now, she'll tell you that she asked me if I wanted them. And I said, no, but of course I wanted them. And there were some trophies. I, I competed in some uh, in athletics and I had some pretty good ones in there, right? You know, some first place trophies from tournaments, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, my kids were like, why do you care? I said, because it's different now. See, yes. Like, when I was a kid, like there were lots of people competing <laughs> and there was only one first place trophy. It was really hard. And they don't understand that. They go, everybody gets a trophy. You know, even losers get a trophy. So, you know, I think we, we could definitely maybe uh, learn something from the current participation trophy uh, environment. But at the same time, I think we might want to hold back on some of the trophies. There are winners and losers in this world, and it's good to teach them a little bit earlier than later. Right? Yeah, teach them early for sure. That life's not fair. All right. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, some plans are starting to allow Bitcoin in 401k accounts. What, what does that mean going forward? What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think it's a natural evolution, right? I mean, I don't think that uh, cryptocurrency is going anywhere. I think there's some, there's some issues with cryptocurrency that we've certainly talked about, you know, over the last several months in the way of volatility, in the way of future potential for government regulation like other countries have already done. The sheer influx of new cryptocurrencies, I think, is a challenge and is an issue. It seems like there's a new currency every 15 minutes in, in, in the crypto space. So, you know, but the, the kind of granddaddy of all the cryptocurrencies up to this point, I don't think any would, anybody would argue would be Bitcoin. Of the cryptos, it seems to be the most stable. There's some inherent benefits to Bitcoin and that there's a, a, a limited amount of supply. Um, so it doesn't shock me that that's the first one at the table that's going to be put into qualified plans at 401ks. Uh, I don't think anyone would argue that uh, some of those generations we just talked about, you know, the Gen Zers, the millennials, um, they're very actively involved in the crypto space, maybe much more so than, say, the baby boomers, for example. Um, so, you know, the demand is certainly there. I think the general fear and trepidation about uh, the printing of U.S. currency, now that we've gone away from the gold standard, um, or we have for a long time, but nevertheless, we no longer have the gold standard. People are looking for alternatives as inflation hedges against the devaluation of the dollar. Uh, if you look in most 401ks, you might have a gold fund, you might have a commodity fund, maybe, maybe not, but really you don't have any of those non-traditional uh, inflationary hedges inside of your 401k. So I think it's a natural evolution that it's occurring. The concern that I have about it is cryptocurrency, while I'm not arguing that it's going to be here for quite some time, perhaps forever, um, it definitely has uh, plenty of room to run, it is still incredibly vo volatile space. It is still a new space. And with newness comes volatility, with newness comes risk. And my concern is that people will be able to use 
their long-term retirement income dollars and inappropriately allocate a astronomical percentage to these types of vehicles like Bitcoin. And it does leave the potential for uh, irrational, emotional exuberance to take hold. And when that happens, people, we've seen it time and time again, can have a propensity to make really poor decisions. So my concern is that some people could, while some people could make a tremendous amount of money by this option being available, others could lose a tremendous amount of money in an otherwise already volatile landscape. Um, so I, I really urge people to, while don't run away from crypto, don't blindly run towards it either. Do your research, allocate accordingly, and don't get hurt by playing that game. And the saying is, invest in what you know. And now as Bitcoin becomes more popular, I still don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, are they going to be able to break this down so that the average person can understand what this is? What this is? Well, I think anytime you have something new, you know, it takes a while for the information to get disseminated. I mean, you could argue, I'm not comparing uh, cryptocurrency necessarily to the advent of the internet, but I remember when the internet came out, everybody said it was a fad, right? And it's it's kind of a cute thing that you know people can go and look online and look up useless information, and now here we are. So it's yet to be seen whether the crypto space is going to end up being as influential as something like the internet or like being able to take, you know, online payments. Remember when Venmo just first started, people were like, what? Or Uber, right? Nobody wanted to, you, you want me to, you expect me to get in a car with somebody else? And now the cab companies were fighting it so hard because they've basically ruined the industry. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of room for crypto. My concern, though, again, is while we hear about bazillions being made in crypto, the reality is about 50% of all the Bitcoin ever purchased were purchased last year. And if you look at the trajectory or the glide path of what crypto did last year, that means that a very large sum, perhaps half of all people that ever in invested in Bitcoin have lost money and a sizable amount of money. You know, it was up to $60,000 roughly. And then it, it went all the way down into the 30s again. How many people weathered that storm and how many people lost a third of their money? Um, I've been around long enough to know that a lot, a lot, a huge percentage of people probably lost a third of their money. And I just don't want to see that trend start carrying over into 401k accounts. Again, not suggesting it's a bad idea to have it in there. I think it's a great idea. Um, for more options, the better. However, I hope that people use it sparingly and smartly and don't get uh, hurt by that investment being available. Josh's number is 614 364 7300. That's 614-364-7300. And besides this show every weekend, you can also join Josh every Monday at 1230 p.m. for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley right here on 98.9 The Answer. That's it for today. Thanks everyone for joining us. Catch Josh Monday, like I said, and we will be back next Saturday for this show at the same time. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer.
Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.